Welcome to our most recent podcast of Rock Your Cradle. We're speaking with Alexia Leachman. She is a specialist in tachophobia. And if you don't know what that is, we'll explain it to you. It has a lot to do with giving birth and a deep fear of that, but we'll get more in depth as to what it is. And Alexia, you were saying you also present on BBC Health as well? UK Health Radio. UK Health Radio. Okay, great. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure to be here, Jeannie. (laughs) Thanks for joining. So Alexia, I wanted to ask you first off sort of your background of where you grew up and how you got into what you do now. Well, I grew up in Wales, which is stuck to England, Um, very wet and rainy there. And I, um, with a French mother, British dad. And so I, I, and then I, I, you know, I left Cardiff and went to business school and worked in marketing and sales for 15 years, eventually working for global beauty brands and and as head of marketing and and brand. And I decided I wanted to quit all that because it all felt incredibly unfulfilling and shallow working in the beauty industry for me at least and so I wanted to do something a little bit more fulfilling so I shifted into coaching just I quit my job just as the financial crash happened so that was really good timing on my part (laughs) Um, if only you'd had a crystal ball (laughs) I know right I know so um so yeah since the since then I've been um my business has evolved my work has evolved quite a bit but I started out doing personal brand coaching and then shifting more into the mindset. And that's when I started getting more into really understanding what is getting in the way of us wanting to achieve our goals and the things that we want to do. You know, when we're building our own personal brand, it's you need to believe in the brand, you need to believe in you, and you need to be expressing that in a powerful, authentic way. Um, and so if you don't have the confidence or if you lack self-esteem, you know, if there's lots of things that can get in the way of you being able to do that powerfully. So that really meant that I started shifting my work more into the mindset arena and I started training in therapeutic techniques and so that's when I started moving more into the head what I now call my head trash brand which is really about clearing the head trash that stands between you and the life or business that you desire Um, and it was while I was a business head trash coach that I fell pregnant and and it was when I first saw my pregnancy test and it was accidental I wasn't planning on being pregnant or we weren't trying at all and this this is where tocophobia has already started to show itself in my life because I'd been putting my career first I've been like prioritizing my work and my business and I've been with a partner long-term partner for eight years and we've never had the kids conversation so when I saw that pregnancy test not only was I in deep shock at seeing it even though we hadn't been using protection so there really shouldn't have been a shock element there at all but I was also panicking about well I don't even know if he wants kids he's going to leave me but you know all of that going on but then I was also the deep pit of despair that came over me which is tocophobia, the, the fear, the phobia of pregnancy and birth. Now, I didn't realize that I had it, that that was a thing and that I was suffering from that. But all I knew was that I was suddenly feeling incredibly, I was just, it just felt all consuming and I just wanted to sink into a dark hole. Um, and so that was really the beginning of me. Um, that that start, That's the, the next chapter of my life, if you like, as I started uncovering what that was and really starting my healing journey in earnest as I realized that I was I took this as being well you're a total hot mess Lex I was struggling with anxiety and depression at the time I'd also lost my mother not that long ago very suddenly to cancer so I was also in grief so I was in my head I was like you're I was like you're a hot mess like this is 
So I didn't know why I was feeling these feelings around this pregnancy test. I just knew that I had some inner work to do and I had to get to the bottom of it because it was, um, I couldn't stay that way. I could not stay that way. So that was the beginning of this new chapter in my life where healing started taking center stage. So how long did that last for you? The Well, the I, when I first had that pregnancy test, I then really wanted to get, sort out my anxiety. I felt like I really needed to feel the, the depression, the grief, the anxiety, I needed to get to the bottom of that. So I spent about a year and I sought external help for that um, to really start to help me to kind of move past some of what I was feeling. And then a year later, I was pregnant again. And this time I didn't feel that pit of despair that I did the first time, but I still felt like this was terrifying. But instead of feeling like swallow me now, you know, I don't want to carry on. And I wasn't suicidal, but there was definitely a sense of wanting to hide away in a dark hole. This time I was like, okay, right. Okay. Hold on tight. You can do this. If you just, just get all the drugs and just get someone to knock you out cold for the birth. And then if you're not present and, you know, now obviously, you know, you can't have that. You can have a C-section, but you still have to be aware and conscious and awake. So the idea of being completely knocked out cold and having somebody fish out your baby is not really um, something that I think a lot of medical professionals would, would go along with. But that was like, th those are the conditions that I needed for me to be able to get through this. And I realized obviously that's not realistic. Um, and so I was like, I've got to sort this out. I've got to sort this out. Um, and so I, I started trying to sort it out. And so my first port of call was hypnobirthing because that's the go-to thing that a lot of women turn to for, you know, being calm in birth. And it just wasn't hitting the side. Sorry, it was just I just I just need to pause you before you carry on. First off, we haven't finished the story of your first pregnancy. Oh. So did you, did was that a successful pregnancy? Oh, so the very first pregnancy that I had, I had a miscarriage. So I lost okay. the baby at seven weeks. Sorry, I didn't make that clear. So, so this is the second time you're pregnant, but the first time you're giving yeah. birth. Yes. Okay. So I lost okay. the first baby at seven weeks. And the reason that this highlighted me that I was, that, that something was amiss with me was I felt enormous relief at this miscarriage. The minute I found out I lost the baby, yes, there was this gutter punch of like, oh my God, loss. But there was this equally, if not larger part of me going, thank God. Like, ooh, that was a close call. That was a big, huge relief. And that was when I thought, hang on a minute, this is not normal. This is not normal for a woman to feel relief at a miscarriage. Who, who feels relief at a miscarriage? Um, so this is where I thought, I've got to sort this out. I've got to get to the bottom of why I'm, what, what am I, okay. what's wrong with me? And that's what triggered my uh, my healing journey to start with the anxiety. Sorry, we'd had a chat before oh. we came on, so I'm confusing what I've shared. <laughs> yes, just to make sure. <laughs> so, um, so a year later, you and you're pregnant again, and this time yeah. the baby is... Everything yeah, so it went, yeah, so it's we You're, it went to full yeah, full term. And where at what point in your pregnancy did you realize I just want someone to knock me out? Oh, that was immediately. Like the minute I that found was out I was pregnant, and I was like, Well, there's no way I'm gonna be able to get like the only way that I'm gonna be able to get through this birth. Because for me it was all about the birth. Mm. Tocophobia is a fear of pregnancy and or birth. So some women it's all about the pregnancy, others it's about about the birth some it's both for me it was all birth um but the pregnancy was also 
was also problematic don't get me wrong but it, at that <laughs> point when I first got pregnant because you, you can't really tell at that point when you only first find out you're not really living the pregnancy as you do when you start showing and, and having all your body changing so for me up front it was the main focus of my attention was how am I going to get through that birth the only way is if you move me out so it was that, that was how so I was how, how far along were you when you found out about hypnobirthing and started studying that I started studying that I would say in um, maybe sort of two to three months in. So I think I was trying to ignore. Also, there's a risk of miscarriage. So, you know, there's part of me like, I need to get through that first three months to see if this is something really that's going to, um, yeah, that I need to worry about or need to do something kind of thing. Um, And then once I got past that, I was like, okay, this is getting real. I need to now really take this quite seriously and start doing things. So, uh, yeah, that's when I sort of sort out Then I landed on hypnobirthing and I started doing the things that you do with hypnobirthing and realising that this wasn't changing anything in terms of how I was feeling. I was like, this is not touching the sides. I need something stronger. It's like if somebody offers you a, little, a glass of beer and you're like, no, just I need the whiskey. This this is not. <laughs> I, mean, I need something much stronger than that. And hypnobirthing Something stronger. Exactly. You know, it's funny because I um I without knowing what it was called I had tocophobia when I first became pregnant but for me hypnobirthing did alleviate that but that was because of a few key teachings that I was taught by my hypnobirthing teacher that I don't know if other hypnobirthing teachers cover okay but for for me it worked yeah and um, it worked marvelously well however it sounds like either you had some other things you were taught or some things you weren't taught or it just wasn't enough and you needed yeah. more um it, it it typically depends on yeah I, I've I've not come across I've because I've worked with a lot of women with tocophobia and so there's when you look at the fear that you see in birth that you come across there's mild and there's moderate and there's strong and then there's phobic yes. phobic yes. is is tends to be on a whole different level that's got a lot of trauma at the root which usually the typical the hypnobirthing approaches on don't don't deal with trauma so you need a, you a trauma, therapy it's a therapeutic intervention yeah. that is what you need yeah. and and li- listening to guided tracks regularly at night is not going to heal that level of trauma yeah <laughs> yeah for me it was uh principles that were taught it wasn't the mm. it wasn't the meditations it was the actual yeah um reprogramming of the the, the mental approach of what bodies are supposed to do at birth. it was it was more than that but anyway mm. i wanted to talk more about you what what happened for you after that so I then knew I needed to do something about this and that, that there was nothing out there that was going to be able to support me and I was going to need to do I was going to need to be the one that did this so I decided that I would clear like do what I could learn out of everything that I'd learned to create a way of me doing this myself because I when I decided to I thought well, I need to sort of get a clear picture of what's going on here what are your fears? And when I wrote them all out, there were lots, like lots, lots and lots. Um, and, and there's no way that if you go to see a therapist and you go and see them once a week, there's no way I didn't have enough weeks of my pregnancy left to be able to even tackle that, let alone the therapy budget. Right. So that wasn't an option for me. And so I needed to do this myself and I needed to in, do an intense period of, of healing to the means that I could get a result I needed in time for the birth. And I didn't know where this was going to go, but I decided I'd test the first beginnings of this fear clearance approach at a first midwife appointment where I 
was invited well I was you know going through the in the UK when you're pregnant you have your first midwife appointment and there's lots of paperwork you're filling lots of forms and it's quite dreary as in a a meeting um but then they take (laughs) lots of blood tests and you know they they suddenly there's injections involved and I didn't know this and suddenly she sort of springs out the injection needles and I had a phobia of needles and injections as well oh no (laughs) so suddenly I'm like and I couldn't concentrate on anything she was saying at that point because I was just the needles are on the desk and it doesn't matter what she's saying because I'm just thinking well hang on a minute you haven't even told me that we. I didn't know I was coming into this today I needed to panic at home in advance you can't just spring (laughs) it on me right now so she went and then then she carried on she didn't pick up on my change of state that was I would have thought quite evident the eyes that were standing on sticks you know like (laughs) she hadn't picked up on that and um so we so then she wrapped up what she was doing and then I think she picked up on it she went oh well, don't worry you know I'm going to get this ready you can wait outside while I get all the needles ready and I was like all the needles ready like all the- what, more than one <laughs> this is not helping <laughs> so I clearly I was responding in a way so she did get that I was scared but she wasn't really doing much about that or taking it on board or being compassionate so she said, oh, you can wait outside. So I was right outside waiting for her to get all the needles ready. And at that point, I was like, talking to the technique that I was, okay, if you are any good, this is your chance to show me. Like, show me now. So I okay. then tried clearing my fear of needles injections on my own in the hospital corridor. I was waiting to be called back in. So just for a bit of context, whenever I've had an injection, ever since I can remember, I've always fainted at the sight of a needle. I've never made it through an injection. I have memories of my grandmother in Paris, because I'm half French, holding me upside down by the ankles, feeding me croissants in doctor's surgeries, having collapsed at injections. Like I've never, ever had an injection without some kind of drama or fainting going on. So so me with this, this, this injection situation was, you know, I was not anticipating walking out of that room of my own free will. I was going to be carried out. That, that's how it always happens to me. So, so this is why trying to do this fear clearance was it was a real test because it could if it could do this and I was like we've got um maybe I could use this elsewhere and so so I did it I only had a few like five minutes because she she only had three needles to get ready so it didn't take that long for her to do what she needed to do and then she called me back in and said oh so are you scared of needles and immediately without even thinking I went no and then I was like well who said that did I just say that and, she went, and, I, and then I said, well, no, I used to be. Oh, right. What did you do to get past that? I was like, I'm still processing that. I didn't say that. I was like, in my head, I was like, no, I'm just processing. I was just like, oh, some stuff, you know, and just batted away the question. So then I'm sitting in the room thinking, oh, who said that? You know, in a bit of a, in a bit of a state, because it was all, now I was in totally new territory and I had no idea. This is all new to me. So now my arm's out. She's getting on the needle, doing what she does on the arm. And I'm, you know, I'm like, this is, I'm I'm still here. I'm st- I never see this bit. <laughs> so I was kind of in this state of, <laughs> well, this is this is crazy. And then I had the injection. It was fine. And then 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 that was it. Then I was on my way. I was like, oh my god, that worked. Oh my god. <laughs> so that's it. That propelled me to like take what I learned there and apply it to all of my fears. So I wrote them all out and I just tackled every single one of them one by one. Uh, and that would have been during my. In second trimester by the time I figured that so out. how many fears approximately did you work through I would say well I wrote them all on a side of a4 and there were two columns of things so it's 30 40 things 
And that's what I find typically with my clients now is when they map out their fears we're doing, we're separating it into individual, very splinter thin things that are really contributing to the tocophobia. And so, yeah, it's typically 30 to 40 items that need to be cleared. Um, And that's what I had. And so I went through clearing all that myself. And then by month seven, I was like, I think I'm going to ditch that C-section plan. I go for home birth. Yeah, I'm going to do that. (laughs) And I was like, right, well, that, that means it's work, right? And so, um, and then I went to a hypnobirthing course for the day. Loved it because I wasn't fearful then. I was fine. I was like, yeah, we do all the things. And I was doing all the things because the fear was out of the way. So um, so then I had a home birth and it was incredible. Oh, lovely and pain-free and, and incredible for all the reasons that I, yeah, that I never imagined that that would be my birth experience. Um, but I didn't know at, at that point whether... See, maybe it just fluked. Maybe I was just a fluke. You know, I didn't know that what I'd done was a big deal, that I'd achieved anything, that maybe what I did was working. I I didn't know any of those things because I'd only had one birth. And so, you know, you hear about women having great births all the time. Not all the time. A lot of people have those difficult ones, of course. But, you know, I was like, well, maybe maybe all the stuff I did was entirely pointless and it didn't, that wasn't the thing that had the impact. You know, I didn't know. So I needed another birth to be able to really validate my work. And that didn't come around until four years later. So, um, but I parked everything. I, you know, I got back to doing business coaching after my baby was born. I kind of didn't really, um, I didn't know I had tocophobia. So I didn't know that healing it was a big, you know, I didn't know any of that. That was all outside of my knowledge at that point. It was, I only discovered yeah. tocophobia after my second baby was born. So, um, yeah, so that's the beginning of my, it was after baby number two came around where word had got out, word had hit the streets that I had, achieve this and so I started getting lots of emails from women when I was breastfeeding my newborn my second baby asked me how I did it and I was like well who how do you know I didn't know how these women found out I literally had no idea where these women knew that I was the fearful this fearful one that was terrified I don't know where the midwife had I, I don't know but I started getting lots of emails from women who wanted to know how I did it and so I, these emails were quite long, so I needed to kind of explain my method and then explain to them how they had to unpack their fears to get to, you know, to, to, to what I did. And at that point, I was like, this is getting silly. My, my baby was like three weeks old. I was, you know, in that new, very new baby phase. And I was like, this is crazy. If I get another email, I'm going to write a book. That because I've written these reams of emails. And so, so sure enough, I got another email, so I wrote another book. And that book is now um, <laughs> Fearless Birthing. so yeah women can now do what I did by reading the book and the methods in there how to unpick your fears I basically coach them through their fears and the psychology through the book um and but when I was bringing that book out obviously you can write a book I ended up writing 108,000 words in three months so I decided to write the book in November my baby was born in October by February I had 108,000 words I was like well, you're a business coach, Lex. What are you doing? You've just written a book for pregnant women. <laughs> Why? What? This is ridiculous. What are you doing? Um, and I thought, and also you need to edit. You need to, there's lots to do in a book. So I was like, well, until the book's ready, I'll launch a podcast. Um, my business clients, mainly men at the time, I was like, they'll never know because they're not going to listen. A lot of them were gay. I was like, they're never going to listen to a pregnancy podcast. <laughs> I can do that on my maternity leave and, and then get back to my business clients once I get back to work. So the plan was just to let get a podcast out, 
share some of the key elements of my work and the book before I had the book ready and then get back to my head trash brand and my business coaching and all of that. Um, but the podcast went crazy from day one in terms of downloads and stats. It just took off in a way that, and I had a podcast already, my head trash show podcast, which had been at the top of the charts and self-help charts on iTunes. It had been nominated for an award in Las Vegas of all places. So I I'd kind of tasted success in podcasting terms, having had a good podcast. And then this one just eclipsed it completely. Um, and I was blown away because I wasn't expecting it. And I wasn't, I just, you know, I was recording a lot of these episodes, breastfeeding my baby, you know, like with no sleep. And so I wasn't really, yeah, I wasn't kind of putting a lot into it in that sense. I just was desperate to share what I knew, what I'd been through. And lots of women clearly felt the same and they were seeking out this information. So and then they wanted to do what I'd done and I, my stuff wasn't ready. So I started creating little products for them, little things that enable them like recordings and just so that they could also clear their fears themselves and prepare for birth. And so then at some point I thought I've got to park my head trash business and focus on this because these women, they need my help. Like they clearly they're like desperate, they were getting the tone of the emails I was getting is like, I, you need to tell me what you like. I need this. I need this. And I felt like the businessman that I've been working with, I was like, well, they'll be fine. They can find some other business coach. They can kind of, they'll be okay. These women, they need what I'm doing. So I parked my business and then pivoted into birth and pregnancy work. Um, so what year was that? My baby, she's just to nine. So that would have been 2015. Okay. So then... I then started creating lots of DIY products, self-healing products, because a lot of women that are on the pregnancy journey, they quit their job or they're on maternity leave. They haven't got the money um, necessarily to invest in things like this because they maybe have to ask their husband for money. You know, it's a different, I was used to having business coaching clients where, you know, the money was going through the business. It was an easier sell. And suddenly I'm creating things for women where they're like, well, I can't afford it because I'm on maternity leave or, you know, that's a difficult situation of juggling kids and all of that. So I really wanted to make it affordable and accessible so that women could just deal this, do this fear clearance work themselves. And just, and of course, if they wanted to work with me, they could, but they had that option to be able to do this themselves. And so that's where I started creating lots of online products. And then midwives were like, well, I want to use this with my women in birth and doulas. I want to use this. So then I was being asked for training. So then I created a training course. So now, now I train doulas and midwives, um, yeah, anybody in the birth space that wants to learn this and use this in the birth space or that helps families to prepare for birth and that wants to be able to offer them fear clearance using this method to their clients, uh, then then I offer training. So there's a lot of um, responding to what people are coming to me and asking for. And I've also since then developed the, the technique a lot further. So now it heals traumas. It, it's a, it's a full-blown modality now. Um, so I've got therapists that train with me, coaches, as well as midwives and doulas. I've got a lot of therapy therapists who are clients who had tocophobia, who they they said, I've never, like in the past four weeks, a lot of my programs are very short and intense, said my anxiety in the last weeks has gone in ways that I've never been able to achieve in 15 years of doing therapy. <laughs> I want to learn this and use this with my clients. So because it's it's very potent and it works rapidly and delivers results that that have alluded other lots of other techniques and modalities the therapists that have been clients have then wanted to train so they can use this with their clients too so so i've seen i've seen so many different therapies and so many different modalities so the one you're talking about is that one that you adapted for someone or 
created yourself or how did it come yeah. to me? How did it come to me? So it, it originally I, I trained in lots of modalities. Um, so including things like tapping, TFT, um, NLP, um, and and then and then I was invited to be on a, a training program that was a new energy modality, and there was only like a handful of us, only five of us on this training, and I was the only person that really understood. The guy kind of he he said he channeled it, or he said he, he got it, and then he shared it with us, but nobody else really understood it in the way that I I understood it. And, he's, and then he wanted to partner with me. He said, you clearly understand this. So we partnered together and worked together. And then I helped him to develop it further and make sense of it. Because he didn't, it literally was like he, he received it, but wasn't quite sure what it was. And I okay. helped him to make sense of what it was and why it worked and how we had to present it and how we had to, you know, just basically develop it so that it could be yeah. used and used successfully and trained. That bit was missing. Okay. So, so yeah, but then in doing that, then he got very ill and needed to focus on his health. And he said, look, you take it, you, you, I'm giving it to you. You carry on developing it in the way that we're doing. So I carried on developing it myself, adding more aspects to it, adding more um, belief change work, trauma healing. So I've just been adding to it and refining it, testing it, refining it, so it continued. So I, I then decided I needed to give it a name that was reflective of my work. So that technique okay. is called Hedrash Twins. Sorry, say again. Head trash clearance. So head it clears trash. head trash. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I call so head trash the... anything like fears, anxieties, stresses, yep. crappy beliefs, traumas, wounds, anything like that that's getting in the way of you being able to connect to your heart space and to be still in mind and to be able to be happy inside and it content. Makes, it makes sense. It makes complete sense, that yeah. name. Yeah. So what are the basics of it? You said you cleared this phobia of needles within minutes waiting outside yeah. of an office yeah. what are the basics of it is it a combination of of physical stuff mental stuff how does it what's the basics so it's an energy psychology technique and that means the definition of an energy psychology technique means there's a combination of uh, pressure on acupressure points combined with a psychological framework combined with focusing your thought energy on the thing that you want to heal so okay. in the context of head trash clearance, what that means is the, the applying the pressure on acupressure points, we borrow this from the tapas acupressure technique, TAT yep. for short. So that involves putting um, your ring finger and your thumb on the bridge of your nose with your middle finger in the center mm -hmm. of your forehead, and then your other hand on the back of the head. So when doing that, you're applying pressure to key acupressure points in the body. So that's the, and there's another, we, you also use um, uh, the magnet swipe from the emotion code in another one of the frameworks as well, which involves taking a magnet and just swiping it from the point that's just between your eyes down to the back of the head, just where your hairline meets your neck. So there's different. So a ways. literal, a literal magnet or visualizing a magnet. Oh no, a little magnet. So a little, okay. yeah, an actual, just a fridge magnet or a. Oh okay. Yeah, I've got, where have I got one here? I don't know. Here it is. No, it's not. <laughs> Sorry, I've just got like, yeah, you have on your notice board, you know, I've got some little stones okay. that look like magnets, hematite stones, and they're just, I use yes. those. But fridge magnet will be. Yes, my son, my son loves hematites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they're brilliant. They're like, because they feel like pebbles as well. So they're much nicer yeah. to hold in the hand than a fridge magnet that's got, you know, a picture of your, your trip to New York on it or something. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, so we, yeah, the magnets, or so yeah, there's the acupressure aspect to it um, and using the meridians. And then there's the psychological framework. So this is about, 
there are a set of mantras with this technique that um, explore the different aspects of head trash, the different dimensions of head trash. And so there are 10 mantras in the DIY version that's in that's in both the Fearless Birthing book and the Clear Head Trash book. The Clear Head Trash book is just for general consumption, whereas yes. the Fearless Birthing book applies all of it to the pregnancy and birth journey. Um, and so these, these mantras have got a blank in them. So it's like a fill in the blank template and both of those are in the book. And so the first part of the method is you identify what it is that you wanna work, what you wanna heal. So it could be your fear of pain. So, or fear of needles and injections as mine was in, in that moment. So you then take needles and injections, that's the thing, and you insert that into the mantras or pain and you put that into the mantras. So whatever it is you wanna work on, you just insert that into the mantras and then you repeat them and there's 10 of them and you repeat each mantra in turn and you stay with each one for about, I don't know, repeat it 10 times, maybe 15 times while holding your hands and then you move on to the And so that process, there's the short emergency version, which I was using in between contractions and which I used in the corridor. And then there's the long version, which might take 20 minutes or so. And then once you've done a full clearance, you need to do the opposite because we're about, it creates neutrality. And this is what makes it potent is the fact that we're creating neutrality around something. And you can't create balance okay. if you only work on one side of the thing, right? You need to make sure that you clear the energy at the other side. So then you identify what the opposite is of the thing you just worked on. And then you do the same, you just repeat and go through that process again. And so because you so, have to do both sides, it takes about 40 minutes. So if you're doing the fear of needles, what would the opposite of that be? Well, yeah, that, and because that's a trigger in itself, there is, there's no opposite to, there's no opposite to a needle because that's the one that's okay. triggering the fear. So okay. yeah, you've picked up a point there. When you work on triggers, like the, again, pregnancy is a tricky one. You know, the opposite of being pregnant is not always an obvious one for many women either to identify. Um, and it can be different for every, anybody. But when there's a trigger, it's usually just the thing. But then if you're working with an emotion or a value, like, you know, if somebody's being disrespectful to you or they're ignoring you in the birth space, for example, or they're not listening to what you want as part of your pregnancy journey. So you're feeling ignored, you're feeling misunderstood. Then you go to the opposite of that, which is being understood or being listened to. You know, so that's where the balancing is taking place. But with some like okay. injections, that's one of the uh, the rant that one of the only ones where it's very difficult to do an opposite for. So, do you, how far do you subdivide those fears when you start doing the the mantras and the work on them? Uh, you said you'd have women break it down to thirty or forty points. Yeah. So, would fear of pain in birth be broken down to fear of um, getting getting a needle during birth, or fear of getting uh, cut yeah. during birth or it, it, fear of it can get quite Sorry. splintered it, it depends on the individual so for me I cleared my fear of pain in my pregnancy so but when I was in labor and my baby's head was crowning and the midwife was like baby's not coming keeps going back in like if we if your baby doesn't come out we're gonna have to take you into hospital like there's no way I'm going to the hospital so at that moment in between contractions I went inward and went why am I not why am I not pushing this baby out? And I realized I had a fear of pain of the ring of fire. So I needed to then clear that. It's not a very good name though, ring of fire. It's not very good. Oh, I know, but that was exactly, I knew exactly what that meant. And so yeah. I had to clear that because I hadn't cleared yeah. that specifically, which was holding me back in that moment. So ah. what I say to people is you start general with whatever it is you're working on. And you, if you still have more, if you still doesn't feel like it's clear, you just get more specific and more specific and you hone in until so for example one thing that's very common for women on this journey is the fear of losing control so 
that can then get into the fear of control of my emotions. You know, maybe when they might start crying or whatever during labour, that that could be what's going on. Or they maybe get very bad anxiety attacks during their pregnancy and they're afraid of what that might lead to. Um, but it could be losing control of my body. You know, nature's now in control of what's going on here, not me. So it's mm -hmm. what my then it's what my body might be doing. You know, for those women that are worried about peeing and pooping during labour, so or whatever's going on, so you might need to get more specific based on what is going on for you. Does that answer your question? Think, yes, it does. I also wonder if they go even deeper than that because the fear of losing control that would be rooted in most likely a different type of fear like a fear of people rejecting you socially because you don't appear to be in control or a fear of, you know, of not being able to affect the change you want to or fear of not being there for your child if you're not in control. You know, like it seems like there'd be another layer. Oh, there is. It's, it's very, very entangled. That's why there's at least 30 to 40 things on the list because there's fear of judgment, there's fear of making the wrong decision, there's yeah. fear of not being liked, of not getting approval. I mean, I don't know, this is where it gets, it's very specific to the woman because... The yes. one thing I will say is that most, like, 90% of those things that she needs to work on are nothing to do with birth. Like, it's all, you know, control is not a birth thing. That's a human thing. You know, guys have yes. that. Fear of being vulnerable, fear of not coping, not being strong enough. The, these are just human fears that humans have. But they just, yeah. the pregnancy journey forces women to, to confront them in a very powerful way. So if you've got all of that yes. going on, and there's a trauma that's feeding some of these anxieties within you. You've got a cocktail of stuff that means you are now struggling with tocophobia. So it it's this it's identifying the fear of judgment, the fear of not you know not being supported, not having not being listened to, not being respected. All of this is what plays in to the tocophobia. I think yeah. Well, there are several thoughts I've had about that as you were speaking. First is that. As, as I said a moment ago, that all those seem almost a result of a fear of a of something else that would create a lack in some way. Like if people saw you as not able to do something, they could withdraw and that could be danger to you and your child. That's a basic physiological fear. We need social mm. support around us, especially mm. a woman with a newborn. We really need that. But then the other end of it would be... Um, when women are going through this, that trauma, if it happens, um, does that trauma itself, do you just address the trauma through your mantras and your fear and the technique you have? Or do you address, which, which way do you go for it? Do you address the experience or do you address the emotions that resulted from the experience or both? It's, do you get what I mean by that yeah yeah there's there's different okay. as, there's different ways of going into the into the house of meth you know like th th this kind of like into the trash yeah yeah th this is this is basically what we're wrestling with and so there's these clumps yes if you just imagine the very knotty hair you'll have knots and you've got long hairs like same here yeah. there's going to be a knot that you always get down here there's another one you know so talk of these different clumps um yeah. and so there's the the control clump is always there the trapped one, feeling trapped by your not having choices, not being, you know, trapped on the motherhood journey, trapped on the pregnancy journey, trapped in labor. You, know, you can't get out of that until the baby's there kind of thing. There's lots of experiences there that are very trapping. So so first of all, it's theme-based. So what are the all the conflicts that are going on 
that mean that when that conflict is taking place, so for example, the conflict between wanting to be in control and your fear of not being in control, I mean, that's just kind of butting in and the butting in of that is what creates the anxiety and the fear. So it's about healing all these different conflicts. Now, if it doesn't heal straight away, that to me suggests there's a trauma going on that's feeding the conflict. So, so sometimes an obvious place to look for trauma, especially in the context of tocophobia, is the trauma of your own birth experience. A lot of women with primary tocophobia- Sorry, where they- sorry can, you just, can you just repeat that? Because I think a lot of women have no idea that that's true. They don't the know. The trauma of your own birth experience, your own arrival into the world. And see, the, the, the way that we define tocophobia is there are, not we, but someone somewhere has defined tocophobia as being primary or secondary. Secondary tocophobia is when you've had an experience of giving birth. So usually it's women that have had a traumatic birth experience. And now they're like, I don't want to do that again. And now they're terrified of going into birth again because they don't want to, that's too much for them to deal with. Primary tocophobia is when women like I did, I'd never given birth or been pregnant. And yet I was terrified of this. So, so they defined it as where you haven't had a direct experience of giving birth or being pregnant. It's like, well, mm, but we have all, been born we've all had that experience of birth so you don't have to have been the woman giving birth to experience birth you could have been the baby struggling through the birth canal whatever your experience was of being born and it's how you experience it as a baby not how your mum did so you can ask your mum and she'll go oh it's fine but who cares what she says it's what you as a baby felt and if you were struggling down the birth canal like I found that when I was going through my my, when I was pregnant and I was looking in the pregnancy books, you know, the books where it's like, oh, your baby's now melon and it's an aubergine or whatever it is. I could not look at the picture of a birth canal, like the, the diagram of a birth canal. I could not look at that. It brought up huge panic and I had to close the book and I didn't look at the book again because I couldn't handle the diagram. Which, again, makes no sense. But when you look at the context of, oh, well, that was my birth and that was where I experienced trauma in that birth canal. That's why I had tocophobia, because it was my own birth experience. So the, your own birth experience is an obvious place to look, because the problem with trauma is a lot of people presume that your traumas are the experiences that you're, you have conscious awareness and recollection of. But most traumas that you are carrying around with you that are unresolved, the ones that you have no idea that you had, either they're micro traumas, we've got no conscious recollection, maybe it's in a neutro trauma, ancestral trauma, like you might not have a memory of it. So healing those traumas is very difficult when you don't know where to look. A classic one of not being aware of is your own birth because not many people remember their own birth. So that's where I go to first of all, but knowing where which trauma is outside of that is a bit of a mystery. I, I will say to them, if you had any, you know, maybe if you had an abortion or, you know, any sexual abuse or is there anything going on that could be at the root of this? But then, like they kind of go, no, this is why this doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. There's nothing. I, you know, they, they, this is why tocophobia for many women doesn't make sense because it they can't point to anything. One lady that I was recently working with, when I was listening to what she, she she's also struggled with body dysmorphia ever since she was a teenager. And and I was like, okay, well, I think your trauma is your puberty trauma. And she's a PTSD therapist, so she's like, I. I've done my traumas. <laughs> Not I've done my traumas. She was like, I've been looking at my traumas for a while. <laughs> what do you mean puberty trauma? I was like, you've got puberty trauma because the patterns that you're showing here are exactly the same that you experience with your puberty. The loss of control of the body, you know, the, 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 
the fears that you have would have been put in. You know, tell me about your puberty. What was that like for you? Oh, it was a nightmare. Right. Okay. So then she went to heal off the puberty trauma, body dysmorphia, tocophobia collapsed because that was the one. Didn't collapse. It meant that when we did any healing from then on in, it was really easy because there's nothing feeding it. And then she became one of those Insta mummies on Instagram showing off her bump and all this. She never could have done that before because she was not, you know, not in a position to be able to show off her body and be proud of it and love it in the way that she was now able to do. So the trauma that is going on, you kind of need to wait for it to kind of show its face. And I look for that. I either look in the obvious places and if I don't find anything, I'm like, wait until we've done some healing to see what's not shifting and then dig based on what's not shifting and what, you know, and then that would direct my attention in terms of questions or look at the patterns about what kind of life experience that could be for somebody. Does that answer your question? It does. It leads me to another one. though. <laughs> um, what you're talking about, it, it makes so much sense. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of writing a book about um, generational, not, not just generational, but the, um, the, the westernized plus um, approach to birth and the way it's been medicalized to the point where it had, like you were talking about, um, to have the idea of how have someone knock you out and extract your baby was standard practice only a few generations ago. And, you know, even going back further. And so no wonder there's so much trauma surrounding birth because the natural method of birth, not natural as in when people, when I say natural, sometimes people think that means without medication. What I mean is the way the body's naturally function is that a woman is awake and aware and involved and there are positive, wonderful hormones flowing. But when you're asleep or, or knocked unconscious, that's an entirely different situation. Mm-hmm. So that brings me to... Um, with the traumas you're talking about, I believe um, as, a, as a underlying principle of the question I'm about to ask, I believe the Pareto principle is very real and that most people, most the, the great majority of people will have th- things in common, types of traumas in common, mm-hmm. like you were talking about, maybe puberty yeah. trauma, maybe there was um, some sort of sexual assault or abuse or what have you. So what would your top one be that for a woman who comes and want, who is watching this podcast and says, I think I have tacophobia and I don't know where it came from. So we've got primary, which is mm. usually from your own birth, right? Yeah. I would and then secondary from a life experience. So for both of those type, well, I guess the primary is from your own birth, but for the secondary, what would the Pareto principle uh, or in other words, the vast majority of women, what would be the thing that they would need? You would recommend that they start with. Well, if it's secondary, if it's secondary tocophobia, it's from their previous birth experience, so they need to heal. Okay, it's all the okay. secondary is always going to be. I I've, I found that through my work, I tend to be working with the primary. Um, those ah, okay. Phobia because they don't understand why they have it. Those that have had a difficult birth know to go to trauma therapists they know to they don't always do that because some will just they don't realize that actually healing a trauma can be relatively quick and painless it doesn't have to be this this awful experience of reliving everything it can be quite elegant and and fast um but yeah so if you've got to secondary tocophobia just go and find a trauma therapist to help you let that go absolutely so if someone has has primary and they bought your program yeah 
and they can't afford to work with you one-on-one, like you were talking about accessibility yeah. and affordability, where would you recommend they start? They can, uh, if they go to the fearfreechildbirth.com website, then I've got, speaking back to your Pareto principle, the, um, yeah. I went through all of my client notes ever since I've started working with women and I identified the 30 things on everybody's list. So those really? 30 things are likely to be the 80% of your tocophobia. There's going to be 20% of okay. your tocophobia that's going to be down to you. So some people, you know, are going to be more about that they're okay with pregnancy, but they're not okay with birth. They're okay with losing control, but they're not okay with feeling child. I mean, you know, there's going to be swings and roundabouts, but there's 30 that I've identified and I've created the mantras. So they don't even have to learn the technique. They can just buy. I've called it the pregnancy and birth fear clearance pack. And if you've got tocophobia, get the upgrade, which gives you 30 instead of the top 10. And yeah, you can just work your way through that. Then, the, the, but there are many people that are like, well, why am I doing this? What do, 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 do they want to know? They want to understand why the technique works. Why, why am I doing this? Why? Do, 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 do. And I'm like, well, I know that this is not that program. If you want to understand the method and you want to learn the method, that's a different program. I'm just giving you the shortcut for you to get rid of your fears. And if you just work those 30 on your own, you can take all the time you need. And that's like 70 bucks or something. So they can just work through that on their own. But what I've found is that many women with tocophobia, it's really hard for them to eyeball their fears because this is what's required with my method. You have to name it, think about it, say it out loud, talk about it to yourself. You're saying it. That's when you're saying the mantras to yourself. You can say them in your head, but you have to say them, articulate them. And some women can't even bring themselves to do that it's too hard some of them I know when I've got clients I work with I do that bit as I take the therapist role um but I don't call myself a therapist it's you know I I do that I I'm the one that says that to them and they'll be crying they'll be like purging and purging they'll be releasing a lot of pain through that because it's so hard for them to they need somebody else to say it that's why I've recorded their clearance tracks they can people some people just buy the audio track and they can just listen to it and then they'll spend 40 minutes just crying on their own Listen to it, letting it all out. Because this is all pain that's inside they just need to release. So it's just giving it, once we give it a name, we, but you've got to be upfront. You've got to be open to being a crying mess for 40 minutes. Not many people are actually. They don't really think that if once they start crying, that could like could like could escalate into something a bit more serious than crying. But but actually crying's okay. Crying's really good. It's you releasing. So don't feel threatened by the crying. And embrace it. If you're crying, it means you're releasing stuff, and that's a good thing. But some people don't want to go there. So the DIY route is good for those that, you know, I've had many women that are like, just tell me what I need to do. I'm going to do it. And then they do it and they get amazing results in a short amount of time. And they've just, they've just stepped up to the plate, done the work, got the results, and they're on their way. Others need a lot more hand holding. They need kind of, you know, they just need to be held through that process. And we're all yeah. different. So if people need holding, then of course. So this is why I want to train more people. Because I, you know, I've got women in New Zealand going, I can't, none of the time zones work. You know, like people need to be um, around the world so that to support these women. Because I don't want it all to sound really offline up, you know, so they can be supported in the way they need. You need to start getting training trainers, I suppose. So if anyone's listening oh. to this and is interested in that. Well, if anybody's a therapist and would like to work with tocophobia, is is get in touch because I'd love to train you because the one thing I'm finding is that a lot of the people that come to me and I've got Facebook groups with women in talking about this is that they go to therapists and the therapists have never heard of the condition 
So not only have they not heard about it, but they don't have an experience of it and they don't understand the psychology of it. So they're not well placed to really help them. So I'm not saying that the no other healing method will help with tocophobia, but unfortunately not a lot of people out there have one had it and healed it and can walk people through it. So understanding tocophobia is key because that gives you the shortcut through it. You don't, these women haven't got, you know, when she's pregnant, she hasn't got a long time to get this sorted. She needs to get healed quick. So you need somebody that knows what they're doing and that understands where to look for the traumas and the conflicts and the da, 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 and all of that. Um, so, and then also, unfortunately, there are many therapeutic techniques that just don't work for topophobia. So you could just be spending a lot of time. And I hear that a lot where women are going to get help and they're just, they're still at square one, nothing's worked and they're not getting anywhere. I tend to get taken on as a last resort. Well, you're my, you know, I've got nothing else. I've tried it all. And then we get the result. So, um, yeah, so any therapist that wants to be there to help women in this way, please do come forward. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's it's not a time frame of, of years. This is a sometimes you've got a few months, a few weeks. You just got to yeah. get it done. <laughs> exactly. And typically now, I mean, when I did it on my when I healed myself, it took me three months, but I was figuring all this out. You know, I didn't know what I was doing because I was making it up as I went along kind of thing. I was just using my intuition and be guided by that. But now, you know, depending on the, um, depending, like typically I can get it done, get people healed in, two, in three to five weeks, unless there's significant anxiety, let's say severe anxiety or depression going on or OCD or some other mental health condition, mm -hmm. then that might take maybe three months. But generally speaking, it can be that, that we're talking less than three months, typically. And that I've had, and that's not just as with me as a practitioner, but I've had a lady that she approached me, she said she was experiencing really bad depression um terrible tocophobia really wanted to be a mum but couldn't afford me couldn't you know couldn't she was like I can't even leave my bed I'm just in the fetal position all day crying at home I can't I'm just I'm, I can't do anything I can't exist um, and I said well okay I've got a self-healing membership which has got loads of mantras for lots of things where people can just crack on and just pay for as long as they want to be in there to do their healing and then you know so she said, okay, and that's like $29 a month. So that's really, you know, like really good, affordable um, a way to go. And then two months later, she caught, she emailed me saying she was cancelling. And I was like, oh, no, my membership's rubbish. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'd love to get, you know, how, do, how have you got on? She went, oh, my God, you've saved me. It's amazing. I feel so much better. My depression's gone. My tocophobia's gone. We're trying, going, I'm going to start trying for baby. And I, I think she's due like any day now. Um, so, yeah, she said, you know, and she did all that herself. It's that I just provide videos like, you know, I did. There's no involvement for me in that membership. It's just all DIY. And so she self healed her own depression and her own topophobia in two months. And it cost her less than $70. So if wow, you want to amazing. do that kind of healing work, you can. But you need to be, you know, I said, how did you do it? What did you do? What's your secret? She goes, I did one clearance every day. That's all I did. And that's less than an hour. But in two months, she turned her life completely around. So this kind of transformation is is possible. You don't have to have the money to work privately with somebody. You could just do this on your own. And that's my Clearance Club membership. So if anybody's interested in joining that, that's the Clearance Club at clearheadtrash.com. Clearance Club. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. That's a, that's a really inspiring story. Yeah, totally. I know. I, when I got the email from it, I was in tears. I was like, oh, my God, you know, like I didn't realise that because I'm really – 
I'm all about self-healing and helping people to do this themselves. Yes, of course, I'll be there for those that want to work with me, but there's such a mental health crisis in the world and so many people struggling from so many challenges and life isn't easy. The world is a very uncertain place right now. There's not enough therapists to go around. We need people to be able to take ownership of their mental health, of their emotional well-being, and we just need to let them do this themselves. And so when I teach people my method, they, that's it. They learn it. They've got a tool for life and they can use it whenever they need to. I've used this on my kids. You know, my kids fear of dinosaurs when she was young, fear of spiders, you know, fear of monsters under the bed when they were three. So I was using it on them when they were young. And, you know, it's an adapter. You, know, you can use it for your family, but also use it professionally and you know, help people. So it's very versatile in that sense. And I just think people need to have a tool like this available to them so that they can they can be happy and deal with whatever they're facing in their own life you know not have to go and see a therapist every five minutes and outsource that healing like to be able to own that and take charge and yes maybe get help for the tricky bits the traumas or whatever it is but most of it i believe the 80 20 thing that going back to what you're saying a lot of our own anxieties you can self-heal people just need to know how to do that so that's what I want to help people is to do that. Bit. And if they need help, the, the trickier bits, sure, let's, you know, work with the professional. But most of it you can do yourself, I think. So before we, I would like to ask you for a quick demonstration of one of your mantras. Obviously, um, to do all of them would take far too long. Yeah. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask you, for those who are looking to get into something like this or who are looking to... Um, as you did, make a shift from something they feel is not as fulfilling to a more fulfilling career. Mm. I wanted to ask for your own personal life, how has this affected your feeling of fulfillment of, of doing what you do now? I, I mean, I love what I do. And when I remember when I decided to ditch the business coaching, which was good money, you know, pregnancy has not been that but it feels like such a calling and so fulfilling you know I get so many emails from women like stories like the one I shared just like there's one lady who had tocophobia she went on to have two birth babies of her own this you know the first pregnancy was positive and the birth was positive but she said there was still some bits that she wasn't super happy about but in the in the most part it was positive second one was incredible to the point that she loved being pregnant and giving birth so much that she said to her partner I really want to do that again, but I don't want to take the baby home. How, how do you feel about surrogacy? And he's like, okay. And she's now on surrogate baby number two. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she had tocophobia and now she's a surrogate. You know, like that's a massive turnaround, which I would never have anticipated. Um, so the, 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 the reward aspect of this work now is just off the charts. You know, I, I feel like my work here is done, but I, it's not. I have much more to do. Um, so, um, but making that shift has been has required me to do a lot of my own head trust I do all my testing of this method is all on me first so I'm this is a reflection of my own healing journey as much as anything you know I wouldn't have been doing the work I did today if I'd not healed my own tocophobia and shared how I did that and I'm continuing to heal and it was a tricky period in my own life 18 months ago when we decided to leave the UK to pursue our dream of living in the south of France where I hit a very low point and decided I was then going to heal my traumas my hidden wounds and that's what I discovered and created my trauma healing process because I created it on me um, by testing it and doing my own healing. So it's all about always be, I think I want to encourage people to just look your head trash in the eye and heal it. Don't be scared of it. Like just heal it and get rid of it because there is like an incredible 
world and life that awaits for you on the other side. And we are so contained and hemmed in by our head trash. It's unreal. So if you want to make a pivot or a change in your life, there's going to be big things you need to get over, like letting go. Is it the right decision? Like these fears, am I going to succeed? Is it going to be a failure? There's, going to be, there's so much there that prevents people from making big changes like that. These, these are the same fears that come up for women on this journey through pregnancy to motherhood. Am I making the right decision? You know, is it, am I making the, you know, all of this same, the same head trash. It's just different contexts of life, different places in your life. Once you've healed those kind of conflicts and those fears, it's incredible how the ripple effect of that goes beyond. Um, and that's what I'm seeing with my birth book is that these women that have healed their fears as part of their pregnancy journey and to prepare for birth, they're emailing me like years later going, well, if, because of that, I then decided to quit my job and set up a business. And because I just, this fearlessness that I felt in birth that was solidified by that amazing birth experience that is powerful for a woman, you know, when you've had that amazing experience and you can kind of connect to that always and it, it feeds you. And I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about my own, just talking about that, how that can then like give you the energy, the motivation, the, the confidence, the courage to then make bigger, bolder changes in your life that you think, yeah, well, I can get through birth, I can get through anything. And that's how they feel. They have this fearlessness yeah. about them. <laughs> and it's to use those challenges in life as an opportunity to heal. Like life is calling you to the healing table. So just step up, do the work and see where it takes you. And, and you can do anything once you do that. Yeah. I remember after giving birth, I can't remember which time, but yeah, probably even the first time I was like, right, if I did that, I can do it all. Exactly. <laughs> anything. Yeah. And to have more women out there with that kind of mindset, that kind of like spirit, the world needs women like that right now. And that's why I feel this is so such important yeah. work. You help a woman prepare for birth. You're not just helping her. You're helping the child. You're helping the family unit. And the ripple effect that goes beyond that as she then becomes a confident yeah. mother and how she raises her kids, what she then does with her life. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's the, it's, you know, if there's, if you want to kind of focus your attention on changing the world, help women prepare for birth. That's my view. That is exactly, exactly what I think. And that's a large part of the reason that this company is being formed and growing is because women are the backbone of families. And mm. we, we make the, we make the kids, we yeah. teach them, we nourish them, all of that. And so much of it starts with having like, like you were saying, from even our own births, but then think of the baby that you're bringing in, that birth that yeah. you're giving them and to start that family and their family and their children, yeah. like just the generational impact. It's it's incredible. It's huge, it's huge. And when I think yeah. about the, when I was in labor and I had some mantras, not from my method, but just some mantras I focused on. This is my second birth that was very, very fast and I was, you know I was very I was definitely in a fearless place because I'd done so much fear clearance at that point in pregnancy number one and then pregnancy number two that I was just like bring it on just like this birthing woman you know and then I had these <laughs> mantras that I just used to focus my just keep my mental just keep in a really good place so I could just I was just breathing focusing on mantras saying to myself and my youngest daughter is constantly spouting those very same mantras like she's saying them all the time and it's just nuts how what you're saying when you're carrying your babies and you're birthing them that that becomes their their not their philosophy but their, their, their go-to phrases and yeah. you know what what are you saying when you're carrying your baby what what's going on here 
it just blows my mind every time she says stuff. I know I was chanting to myself throughout the labor of her arrival. It just, you know, it's, it's the, the power, what we hold, the capacity of what we hold within us when we're mothers, when we're holding our babies, when we're birthing our babies, just don't underestimate any of it. And I know some women are going to think, well, you make me feel guilty now because I don't have these wonderful thoughts. And But we need to know this because if you don't know it and take this seriously, you can't change it. I'm not saying this to lay the guilt. It's about being informed. Once you know that your thoughts are being heard by your baby, go and get the help you need so that those thoughts can be changed so that you can change that trajectory. That's that's our responsibility as a mother. And there's no hiding from that responsibility. And I'm not going to be quiet about it. <laughs> I feel like my head's on a bobble. I'm just going, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, this all of, all of what you're saying is stuff that I have been uh, learning and, and preaching for years. So thank you so much. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's completely yeah. true. Yeah. Um, and I'm really, really glad you're doing the work that you do. Like, really glad. Thank you so much for doing thank that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Can we do a demonstration of how someone would, when they go to your website and they buy your course and they're learning how to do the mantras, they can come and watch the pro. Yeah. If you could give us a demo of how you would do one. Yeah. Well, I've got a video on YouTube. If they want to watch a whole one, they can sit okay. and share it with me on YouTube. Okay. If they want to be a full on one, but essentially, and I'll just be very uh, top line about it. There are, the way okay. I look at it is there are five dimensions of head trash that we need to clear when we're clearing something. And so the mantras, and because we're creating neutrality around the thing that we we, we want to heal, then we have to, you know, if I was to say to you to get rid of, if I said, I've just handed you a wet, soppy, wet towel, Jeannie, and that you need to wring out, you need to get rid of all the water so you could hand it back to me and it's not mm-hmm. dripping wet, what would you do with that towel? Uh, take it diagonally and fold it and twist it. How would you, so you twist it that way? And opposite then direction the yes. and then you get right so you go to the opposite one end and then you go the opposite other end so if you imagine that that towel is your emotional mess and all the water is all your tears and the emotions that you just so what we're doing <laughs> the with the bit, we're wringing out the emotional energy contained within this thing and so we're taking it to the most powerful emotions they are and their opposite forms which is love and hate so we're loving the thing that we're working on and then we're hating the thing that we're working on so every mantra, there are 10 mantras and there's love mantras and hate mantras. So there are five sets of mantras that represent each of the five dimensions of head trash. So a dimension of head trash is the idea of something. So if we're working on feeling depressed or a mis, you know, fear of miscarriage, you know, it's the idea of depression. So you might read about depression in, in a blog or see a headline. So it's not affecting anybody. It's just this word and it's the idea of it or miscarriage rates have gone up or whatever it is you've read. And then there's you experiencing the thing. So me having a miscarriage or me being depressed. So that's another dimension. And then there's other people because we live in a world with lots of other people. So then how do you get react? How do you react when your friend has a miscarriage? Or how does that trigger you? Like what, what happens to you when you have that or you, you know that somebody else is depressed? And then there's you, other people making you experience this thing and you making other people experience it. So these are these different ways of looking at each piece of head trash. And we just love and hate all of that. So, so when you go and do a clearance, you've picked your thing. Then you put your hands in the in the position, and then you go. I love you know. I love pain. Pain is great. I love it. I love it. And then you and you just you focus on what pain does to you, and then you just say, I love it. I love it. And then you go. I hate it. I hate it. And you just work through the mantras that I provided, which talk to all of these different dimensions, saying I love and hate each one, and you sit with each one for ten 
10 times, 15 times. And it's when, the reason why I could be a bit vague around how long is because I don't know how long you need to clear it. Someone like when I, you know, sometimes you might be able to just say it five times and the energy of that's just cleared. Some people need to sit with it for like three minutes, five minutes, and they're still releasing because we're all so different. So as a as a standard, I just say, say it 10 times or for a minute, you know, whatever. But as you start clearing, you start noticing and becoming aware of your own signs of clearing. What, what does it look like for you? So for me, it's yawning. Some people burp a lot. Some people get tingles. You start <laughs> to recognize your own signs of clearing energy. And so then you, it's about you becoming self-aware and going, OK, no, this, this feels like it's clear for me now. And, and you get better at that the more you clear. So but at first you might just repeat it 10 times and keep it. You know, you find if you're not clear at the end of that process, you just repeat until you feel that you're clear. Um, but essentially, that's the process that you need to go through. Does that does that help? That yeah, that helps. That's great. Um, I just, just wonder for women it. who that's okay for women who have heard about tapping and, and seen that, um, which is you know you'll tap along these certain lines and and try to clear um, acupressure points and things that way. How is this a step up from that? Um, well, once you've cleared something, it's gone. So you don't need to redo. Yep. So when I hear people saying, oh, I'm tapping it, you know, tapping it again, I was like, no, tapping for me is a plaster. It's a sticking plaster. You've not really sorting the root issue out. Um, why that is, I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to comment on why that might not be working. But for me, the, the what what's different about this is once you clear it, you cleared it. So where the, where it differs is that, so for example, if you're healing a conflict with value, so, that, so for example, losing control versus not being in control, that's a value conflict. Um, you're unlikely to need to clear that again, unless there's a trauma that's feeding it. And you're like, hang on, I cleared this, and why am I still reacting? Right, there could be a trauma here. But there's not always a trauma. Um, whereas um, an emotion, it's also very useful to get rid, to calm yourself down rapidly. So if you're, because it clears the excess emotion that's floating around, and we're never going to get rid of emotions because emotions are essential. So I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm going to get rid of your fear because fear is really important. What we're getting rid of is that the ability of that thing to trigger your fear. Yeah. So we're getting rid of the, the trigger that triggers the fear and anxiety. Your fear is still going to be there. And if you end up walking over a cliff, towards the cliff, you'll, the fear will kick in and you won't walk over the edge because I want your fear to stay there. It's a very good, useful thing that we have as humans. But sometimes you've got too much kicking around your system. So you might be super stressed and you, you see everything through the lens of fear or stress or whatever. Um, so, yeah. So when you have a lot of emotion in your system, you're not able to. It's so near the surface that you see everything through that. So if you've got a lot of fear trapped because it's being triggered all the time, you've not been able to process it and let it through. It's right there. And that means everything. It is almost like right where you are. And you can't see anything without seeing it through the lens of fear or the lens of stress or the lens of guilt or whatever the thing is. So sometimes you need to just let go of that excess emotion, that excess that's there, that's, that's more than it should be. And it, a useful way to think about it is, you know, you think about your phone and after a while it gets really slow and it's like, there's too many apps on it and you've got your photos on it and, and it's like, and you're like, I can't do anything and it just shuts down. So you reset, you go back to factory settings. So it just kind of gives you a clean slate. This is what this does with that emotion. You can kind of work on fear as a thing and it'll just get rid of the excess emotion to give you a little bit of breathing space. So it'll calm you down in the moment. So having a really difficult work meeting, for example, you just need to calm down so you can go back in and not shout at your boss and get fired on the spot. Then in that moment, you might want to just calm yourself so that you're in a calm place again so you can deal with what's going on. 
knowing that maybe you have some work to do outside of that environment to try to identify what it is that's triggered that reaction in you and you can get to the root of it. But in the moment you can clear the excess, so you can calm yourself down very quickly. So it depends on how you're using technique you're using on a trigger, like injections, for example. The sight of a needle, you're using it on a conflict, which is what causes the, the fear and the anxiety to show up. Um, or are you working on an emotion that you just need to calm down and give yourself some breathing space and not, not feel so het up and emotional in that moment? Does that make sense? It does. I like your analogy about the um, the phone or the device when it slows down, because it makes sense of what you were saying. You still have your operating system. You can still run it. You can still function. You still have those natural, healthy emotions that protect you, that also yeah. keep you, um, you know, being human. Yeah. But you get rid of the extra rubbish that's yeah. floating around. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot. There's a lot there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time, Lexi. I really appreciate it. I do have a few more questions for you after we finish oh. recording, but we'll call this good for now. Um, and we will link your website and your books down below so everybody can have a look at that. And uh, thank you once again. Thank you for so your much for having me, Jeannie. It's been lovely. Bye.